Welcome to the Proto-Future Podcast, the world's first enthusiast podcast for modern American passenger rail, transit, urbanism, and equity. In this foundational episode, I'll deliver a manifesto on the future of passenger trains, both real and model, and how climate justice, diversity, advocacy, rail transit, and walkable urbanism can enrich our modeling, our neighborhoods, our cities, vacations, prosperity, and lives. To tell you what this podcast is about, I have to tell you why I'm here. And to tell you why I'm here, I have to tell you a story. If you don't like model railroading, but like transit, urbanism, passenger trains, and Amtrak news, bear with me as we will get there especially more in later episodes. If you like model railroading, but don't like transit, urbanism, passenger trains, or Amtrak news, well, that's exactly why I felt the need to make this podcast. If you have ever thought to yourself that model railroading is dying, or even if you think that model railroading isn't dying and that we're all going to be covered in an explosion of model railroad goo, but you have noticed that it's a largely old white man's hobby and not shared by many youngsters, even those who like trains, I think I'll open your eyes as to why there is a generational divide. Overall, I'm doing this podcast because I like model railroading. I like real railroading, I like rail transit and passenger trains, I like riding Amtrak for all its flaws, and even though it is, at times, an abusive relationship, I still technically like America. So if I could give this podcast a purpose, it is that I want to broaden, diversify, and popularize all the above, individually and in relation to each other, such that we get more rail transit, more and more frequent intercity passenger trains, more dense, walkable, bikeable, diverse, inclusive, equitable, and climate-resilient urban environments, and more models and model railroads of all of the above. If my podcast doesn't do this successfully, well, I'm already atometrically close to learning German and moving to Switzerland forever, watching with glee from afar as the U.S. of Murica burns itself to the ground as a failed theocratic tailpipe-gagging white nationalist ethnostate. So, with the tone adequately set, where do we begin? I have always liked the theory of model railroading. How-to model-building articles always bored me. Anybody with enough time, patience, and resources could make an excellent craftsman structure. Other modeling hobbies directly relate to the minutiae of model building, the types of paint, glues, materials, techniques, but the thing that sets model railroading apart is the broader way in which these models are strung together. A model railroad with beautiful structures but nonsensical looping tracks isn't a model railroad, it's an animated diorama. But a model railroad with realistic track work but poor structures, a model railroad still is, albeit poorly modeled. Here, we care about the trains, and, a view shared by the foundational voices of the hobby, the model part of model railroading was always a means to an end. We are all railroad robber barons, just ones of teeny tiny purview. 
Model railroad theory thus invokes the track plans, the modeling subjects, the artistry of fitting a railroad into a space. Everyone in the hobby is familiar with this, at least on the smallest scale. We all know the arrangement, order, and number of tracks in a yard clearly defines how many trains can simultaneously operate without impeding each other. On the most fundamental and basic level, a yard without a yard lead requires a switcher to scuttle out of the way before another train can enter or leave the yard. But a yard with a yard lead and appropriately designed arrival and departure tracks allows the yard switcher to merrily switch away while the train can simultaneously enter or depart the A and D tracks. Zoom out a little bit further, and some people still get the idea. You still need to metacognitively find a way to fold and twist the layout through a room in order to get a peninsula or tuck a helix out of the way, or put staging in a closet. Some braver few remember that this doesn't just apply to trains, and they use mirrors or forced perspective to faintly hint at a larger world beyond the edge of the layout but far too many stumble here and go no further. Famous schools of the hobby maintain you needn't build the layout any wider than eight inches between towns. While the urge to fit as much train in the basement is understandable, especially when space is at such a premium for this hobby above all others, the quest for train often comes at the expense of the quest for non-train. Zoom out to encompass the scope of the entire layout, and there's no hope left to be found. From what I have seen, there is very often very little thought about the subject of a model railroad more than, I'm modeling what I remember from my childhood, or I want to return to a simpler era. It is one thing for the individual modeler to be driven by nostalgia. It is another thing for almost the entire hobby to kowtow to this impulse. As both a lifelong model railroader and is a lineal, for the uninitiated, someone who is close enough to the cutoff between millennial and Gen C, such as to be differentially categorized in both based on whom you asked, and someone who shares aspects of both, you have no idea how frustrating it is to see a majority of layouts in the hobby set between the 1940s and the 1980s. Yes, steam trains this, and F units that. It is a compelling and dynamic time to model, I will admit, but the justifications given for this more often than not bleed into incurableness. Nostalgia. Let me run through some common apologetics to demonstrate my point. Argument number one, you get to run both steam trains and diesels. Wrong. Diesels were in production as far back as the 19-teens and popularized throughout the 1930s, and steam locomotives have been plying the high iron more or less since continuously through a variety of mainline excursion programs. What? Your prototype is too small or backwoodsy to justify a steam locomotive? No problem. There's probably one of North America's over 300 heritage and tourist railroads nearby. But do many people model a tourist railroad despite it being an integral part of the modern railroadscape? No, because why do something interesting and unique when you could model the transition era instead? Argument number two. It was the heyday of small-town America. Nope. Small Town America was superseded in population by Big Town America in 1920. The actual heyday of Small Town America, according to the U.S. Census Bureau's own data, was the late 1800s. Since then, at no point has the small town population outnumbered the city-dwelling population in all regions except the southeast, and even there, not recently. Argument number three. It was simpler back then. Eh -eh. Only if you are white and male. The 1950s is almost universally demonstrable as a time of vicious racism and the 1980s homophobia. If you want to model that time for legitimate reasons, by all means do so. Just model it for what it was, and do justice to all those who actually lived at the time. Absolutely do not use it as an excuse in whitewashing the past to hearken back to the quote, good old days, unquote. If you've ever held that sentiment, I strongly recommend you analyze your friend group for homogeneity or literacy. Literally anyone of color. 
Frankly, it drives me bonkers how many people model the quote-unquote golden age of the 1950s or their childhood of the 1970s and rationalize the inclusion of trains with these paper-thin justifications. Rather than modeling the railroads out of a sense of honoring the trains for what they are and what they've done, then picking a time period conducive to that. So, why is all of this important? Why should you listen to my ranting and raving? Well, among other reasons, my views are held almost universally by peoples of my age, millennials and zoomers. Through advent of the internet, for all its faults and failures, we've been able to brute force an education of diversity, inclusivity, and pragmatism often denied to us by the overly politicized public school systems. Think about it. You always hear about young people coming out as either queer, trans, or progressive, often when it comes at risk of being disowned by their families. You almost never hear about a young person, specifically young, coming out as conservative and getting rejected from their family or friend groups. In my entire life, of everyone I've ever known, ever heard of, ever encountered through the grapevine, news, or reblogs, I can think of one half-example. If this was truly the result of woke brainwashing, you'd think that the brainwashing would be equally effective in both directions. But it isn't. The arc of history bends towards justice. Currently, though, the arcs of model railroading, rail fanning, and even the built environment lag behind the arc of justice. I'm living proof. Long ago, another modeler and myself were, quote, recommended elsewhere from a model railroad club for being the only openly queer members. I've seen an extremely accomplished female locomotive engineer have air brakes mansplained to her. And practically anybody can look at the hobby's near monoculture of whiteness and detect a problem somewhere in the mix. As long as the hobby remains anything less than 50% female, 30% minority, and 10% queer, it means we have an issue with a leaky pipeline. Sure, the hobby might be doing fine, the old lamentation that the hobby is dying might have been played out already, but imagine how much better it could be doing if we weren't shedding over half the U.S. population in the recruitment phase. One point that I want to try to make here is that there is a generational divide. And it's not what you're thinking of, kids these days in their video games. Just look to YouTube and the thriving millennial and zoomer urbanism space. There's RM Transit, Armchair Urbanist, Not Just Bikes, Big Mood Energy, Miles in Transit, Wendover Productions, City Beautiful, Worldwide Railfan, Coasterfan2105, California Transit Nerd, Adam Something, Well There's Your Problem, Jeff Marshall, Vanishing Underground, The Forefoot, City Nerd, Trains Are Awesome, and Classy Whale. More than half of these creators are in their 30s or younger, and these are just the content creators. This is not counting their cumulative literal millions of subscribers. Young people are clearly interested in trains, so you have to wonder, why aren't they interested in model trains? Personally, I think it's driven, at least in part, by two factors. Firstly, there's a divide in world outlook. I've known many young modelers who disapproved of some exclusionary behavior of certain clubs or hobbyists, like what I've seen or experienced myself, and turned away from model railroading towards simpler rail fanning. One does not need to be on the receiving end of racism to be put off by it, and it's a lot easier to avoid a misogynistic modeler by being a rail fan instead, where it's just you, your friends, and a DSLR camera trackside. This I won't belabor too much, because, as it should be inescapably obvious, justice, diversity, equity, and inclusion are not political. They are the basic standard of good personhood. Young people will walk into a club, will notice the absence of a Black Lives Matter sign, and will file it away as these model railroaders think that black lives don't matter. Do that enough, and you'll turn away otherwise interested prospective young modelers. 
If you happen to disagree with me, I will proudly note that the world has already passed you by, and every subsequent birth and death is a step farther away from what you think. So, if you have any love at all for your trains, you won't drag them down with you by tying them inexorably to a political philosophy that, by all reasonable estimations, is moribund. I'll make my point as concise as possible. Nearly every poll shows that millennials and Zoomers are overtly progressive to supermajority proportions. If they perceive model railroaders as conservative, then to ever think of themselves as becoming model railroaders will become a non-starter. Currently, every young train enthusiast I know of thinks model railroading to be right of center. We have some work to do. The other thing I think is driving away younglings is somewhat related, but more subtle, more structural, and involving what the hobby models en masse. As inferable from the above-listed YouTube channels, Millennials and Zoomers are preternaturally urban-minded. Transit, bicycling, and even straight-up walking are more popular today than any other time in the past half-century. And sure, we still like trains. Let me make it clear that all the young enthusiasts I've met just as much enjoy switching a yard on a layout or chasing a train in real life as they do lowering their carbon footprint and dissing car-brained suburbanites. But the broader model railroad layout space does not marry these two closely related concerns. Layouts are either modern, bleak, freight-centric industrial alleyways, or they are nauseatingly nostalgic idealizations of a whitewashed past. There is little variation outside of this bimodal distribution. Any layouts at all relating to a lived experience in the modern environment, the lifestyle and landscapes that people are growing up in today, are entirely absent. Let me make this concrete. By my calculations, there are 646 Siemens S70 light rail vehicles currently operating or on order in the United States, and this is just one light rail vehicle of many types manufactured and still running. For comparison, the Bud Rail Diesel Car, a semi-comparable single-car self-propelled rail vehicle used as a stopgap measure for declining passenger service in the 1940s to the 1970s through depressing towns that nobody much cared about, only ever had 398 vehicles built. There are, right now, this very instant, nearly twice as many of one individual type of LRV than there ever were rail diesel cars, and only one of those two numbers is set to increase. But not only that, light rail is a more integral part of the modern cityscape. Children grow up seeing LRVs, not RDCs. Give them a model of an RDC and they quip OK Boomer, but give them a model of an LRV and, oh, Wait, you can't give them a model of an LRV because nobody makes one. Despite being more in number, more visible, more important, more ascendant, and more relevant to literally everyone alive right now, nobody makes an LRV. But Rapido alone has probably outsold the prototype RDC by, what, I don't know, a million percent? And hence we have the nostalgia problem again. If all of model railroading is stuck 40 or more years in the past, when millennials and zoomers come around to retiring, I fear they won't think of model railroading. They'll think of their local transit museum, or of Train Z Simulator, or of City Skylines, or of any other number of rail-related video games, meanwhile leaving regular modeling behind to die a boomery death. Contrary to older hobbyists' incessant bemoanment that kids these days don't see trains in their daily life anymore, I posit that there are real things running around over five dozen cities in 27 states and provinces right now within view of the majority of Americans, and these are the things that young people see, are growing up with, and are riding. But can they be bought as a train set to run around the war on Christmas tree? No.
Young people might very well want to be serious modelers, but they can't buy models of what they see and like. And even if they could buy a model of an LRV, I bet you there isn't a single club layout in the country that has a light rail segment on which a youngster could run their model were that model to even exist in the first place. Not to be a white AMAB bemoaning structural inequality, but you see the source of my irritation here, right? Sigh. Actually, no, yes, to be a white AMAB bemoaning structural inequality. All structural inequality is bad. Fix it. Start with ethnic minorities, move to gender and sexual minorities, find a way to bring in disability and neurodiversity, and then find a way to fix the structural inequality of me wanting to buy train models. And while we're at it, choo-choo inequity is not just the only one of note. If you've made it this far, you probably already agree with me with the principles of urbanism, but if you don't, let's have a quick lesson. Many Americans mistake the automobile for freedom. You can drive wherever you want, whenever you want, right? To give up a car is to give up that freedom and to live and die by the bus routes and schedules, right? Definitely not. A femtosecond in Europe will cure any idiot of that notion. In every city there, they have metros, stadbahns, trams, and curious combinations of all of the above that will take you basically anywhere in the city you could ever want to go. Even New York City can't claim to offer that. The reason for this discrepancy has nothing to do with open spaces or rural lifestyles or anything else. It's purely a function of zoning. American cities, or more specifically their suburbs, somehow see fit to allow big-box megacorporations to and moat their fiefdoms with acres of asphalt automotive nature preserves. You literally have to walk farther in America to get between interesting things, and this is ableist to those with physical disabilities, elitist to those without cars, environmentally unjust by requiring pints of dinosaur farts just to interact with the world outside your house, and straight up economically unsustainable. Highways, strodes, and suburbia literally cannot spur enough tax revenue per acre to pay for their own upkeep. Don't believe me? Look up the Strong Towns Initiative and their own data. The facts don't lie, and it is a fact that cars are bad for cities, people, health, equality, the planet, and even the most basic requirement for living, not dying by being run over by a speeding car. For the record, I have a car. I use it often. I grew up in the suburbs and have lived there for most of my life. But I resent these features of my life for what they do to it. Again, if you think that cars are freedom, riddle me this. I want the freedom to take transit to my work. But I can't, because there isn't a bus stop nearby. I want the freedom to bicycle to the movie theater. But I can't, because the road there doesn't have a bike lane or even a sidewalk. I want the freedom to walk straight from the sidewalk to the grocery store. But I can't, because zoning laws and minimum parking requirements enforce a half-mile barrier of asphalt. I want the freedom to live safely in a community with less drunk driving. But I can't, because too many of the houses are too far away from downtown and are inaccessible to bars by anything other than driving. I want the freedom to lower my carbon footprint by taking the train between towns, but I can't because the nearest station is a half-hour drive away on highways over a mountain. I want the freedom to take the train to Pittsburgh for a day trip to go shopping at a mall or visit a museum, but I can't because the Pennsylvanian comes only once a day, forcing me to make overnight accommodations. I want the freedom to go on long-distance bikepacking trips, but I can't because there are so few nearby bicycle trails and what ones there are are completely disconnected. I want the freedom to not pay a $600 
$1,000 premium for a plane ticket out of our pitiful local airport, but I can't because Pittsburgh Airport has too much traffic, making the airport transit connections and even automotive arrivals frequently delayed and unreliable, precluding my ability to access a larger airport with cheaper flights and more destinations. Tying this all together, I want the freedom to grow old in a world that's not in the dying gasps of a climate apocalypse, but I can't because all other eco-friendly means of transportation and climate-conscious lifestyles at my disposal have been zoned and legislated out of existence by conservative lawmakers and pickup truck rights advocates. And, topical news story as of last year, I want the freedom to have my Amtrak train run on time, but I can't because corporate executives are so money-grubbing that they're wringing every last cent out of their operating expenses to the tune of poisoning entire corners of southeastern Ohio. Let me point this out explicitly. The big bad outcome to be avoided in the movie Unstoppable is now the expected consequence of run-amuck capitalism. This is all structural inequality. This is why minorities have lower average income, less educational achievement, and more crime. Not because they are lesser, but because the world built around them by suburban crackers allows them fewer opportunities to be more. True freedom comes from the built environment, and if you don't build it inclusively, justly, or for diverse uses, there will never be true freedom. Only freedom for you and not others. So yeah, if you've ever liked the concept of liberty, it'll make you appear infinitely less stupid and influenceable by Russian bot farms if you thoroughly think the concept through before being allowed near a voting booth again. Taking these points together, if you spend more than an attosecond of thought, I am quite positive that the only proper way to think about trains, real and model, is through the lens of justice, diversity, equity, and inclusivity. And this is not just my conclusion, it is that of every single train-loving millennial and Zoomer I've ever met or heard of save two. But this omnipresent, unavoidable, inherently logical perspective of trains is, however, fully ignored by the entire mainstream rail enthusiasm hobby. For every book on transit or modern freight trains, there are 30 more on the fallen flags of <laughs> Iowa. There seems to be nothing to cater to the ferocious enthusiasm of this new era of rail fanning and modeling. So, hence, I am here. Given this near-omnipresent predilection of young people for light rail, streetcars, intercity passenger trains, walkable urban environments, and basically any non-automotive mode share, I find it necessary to cater to this latent demand for modern rail transit enthusiasm. I am doing this most fundamentally because I like trains. I like to model trains, I like to ride real ones. I think that many others of my age do too, but I want to cater the hobby of railroad enthusiasm and modeling, not exclusively, but definitely a hell of a lot more than it currently does, to where the Zillennials already are. In part because I am one, I want to buy an LRV, and I was so driven by this compunction that I, eh, restarted a podcast. So, close rant, who am I, and what do I plan to do with this podcast? Starting with question one, my name is G4, letter G, number four, capitalize, no space or dash. I am currently a fifth-year graduate student in molecular and astrobiology at the wonderful Penn State University, a quasi-private Ivy League of go-fuck-yourself Duke quality. I am trans non-binary, pansexual, and ethically non-monogamous. I am, like I suspect, as are far more model railroaders than have ever been formally diagnosed, high-functioning autistic. I am most known for wearing near-exclusively vests, male leggings, Meggings, toe shoes, hip bags, and gothic makeup in shades of blue or black. I, like many, if not most of my generation, am and always have been overtly supportive of Jedi, that is, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusivity, as well as climate justice, in all that I do.
To that end, in this podcast, you will get a lot of hot takes. But if you wish to woo the younglings, you'll either power through them or reevaluate your priors. And while we're on the subject, my right to be not dead supersedes your right to have a gun, so shove it up your tailpipe. As pertains to modeling, I've been an active model railroader since 2010, and I was previously, albeit retrospectively ineptly, involved in Ryan Anderson's model railcast endeavors, including making a cringy video spin-off at the ripe old age of negative something. More recently, the COVID project that really started this whole ordeal was a series of presentations I've given at several railroad conventions and NMRA events. Preeminently, they all cover the subject of modern transit, being light rail, streetcars, DMUs, and intercity rail corridors, each one centering around a different realization for how modern transit runs immediately immediately adjacent to or is otherwise intimately entwined with things that people already model. I also run the other slightly less opinionated Beginner's Guide to Model Railroading podcast earlier and concurrently in the same RSS feed, findable at bgtmrring.org. A quote, firehose of a podcast detailing all a beginner needs to know to build their first layout. As pertains to real trains, I've ridden over 26,000 kilometers on Amtrak on 17 different routes, many of which you'll likely hear about. I've also ridden every line of the New York subway system, Metro North and Long Island Railroad, Philly's streetcars and subways, Pittsburgh's light rail, Cleveland's RTA, Seattle's light rail for now, and streetcars, Baltimore's light rail, Norfolk's odd little tide, New Orleans's streetcars, and New Jersey Transit's three light rail systems, as well as most of their weekend operating rail routes, the notable exception being the Atlantic City Line. I've ridden more than half of the DC subway, the Boston MBTA, and the Charlotte Lynx, and among other systems, I've made sizable pilgrimages to Portland, Vancouver, Atlanta, London, Montpellier, Zurich, Wien, Innsbruck, Firenze, and Milano. Further out than that, I've been to every single one of the 67 counties in Pennsylvania and to 49 states. So, look out, Oklahoma, I'm going to gay agenda you like you have no idea. Whoopsies, did that six weeks ago. So, yay, 50 states. And this means that, in sum, as far as I'm concerned, if I make a generalization about America, transit, or both with which you disagree, I bet you grandiose amounts of money or blowjobs that I'm right and you're wrong. As for this podcast, I have little, if any, idea where we'll go. I intended this for mostly as a podcast for enthusiasm of rail transit, not as with other transit or urbanism podcasts currently airing, which can be, to be polite, a bit dry. Notable exception to the Redline podcast. Y'all are awesome. This podcast is primarily for people who appreciate Amtrak, passenger trains, both long distance and short, light rail, streetcars, DMUs, bicycling, walkable urban environments, and taking away parking spots from SUVs so oversized it would be funny if they weren't so lethal to literally anyone other than their small dick energy occupants. There may or may not be model railroading-centric episodes, as a portion of this podcast's function will be to keep me accountable in my own modeling projects as I embark on partially demolishing my existing model railroad to make way for one depicting a near-future Amtrak corridor service and its interchange with long-distance trains, a DMU light rail transit system, a streetcar, and, depending on how many marbles I lose along the way, an operating multi-lane highway, in addition to obvious freight trains and industry spurs, maybe, if I feel like it. But I can also predict that this podcast will not be solely a modeling diary. There may be modern transit history vignettes, or explainers purely about some aspect of transit design. There may be trip reports where I take you along my most recent adventures on Amtrak, transit systems, or abroad. There may even be episodes devoid of trains entirely as I take you along a walking audit of a city I'm exploring or a bikepacking trip I'm taking. Basically, it will be whatever strikes my fancy, but always somehow related to urbanism or rail transit. 
I will, however, attempt to keep up with the news and offer my take on it. There may be episodes calling for action on a particular subject, or I could just ramble about uh, vehicle design. Since I have never before made a podcast on current topics, my first few years will likely be rough going, and I'll likely utilize other creators as news sources, like Worldwide Railfan. So, as I curate this ability, don't regard me as the end-all be-all source for your news on transit journalism, and instead, just another white AMAB on the internet offering my overly confident opinions, because that's what the world needs more of these days, apparently. Unlike my legendarily intermittent other projects, this concept being less evergreen, I will at least try to keep a monthly periodicity. That might mean shorter episodes, narrower in scope. I will probably take months off when I make a BGT episode, which usually comes out thrice yearly, once a semester in fall, spring, or summer. But other than that, you can likely see something for me around the 30th or 31st or 1st, I hope. Beyond that, as far as where this podcast goes and what this community becomes, fuck all if I know. That's up to you. Email me your thoughts at bgtmring at gmail.com, and we'll take it from there. At the start of this episode, I gave a purpose for this podcast. Here, I think I'll give a thesis statement. I like riding and railfanning modern transit and intercity passenger trains. I like advocating for more walkable, climate-friendly, transit-centric communities, and I like model railroading. Traditionally, foaming over transit and Amtrak state-supported corridors is for youngsters, walkable cities are for nonprofit activism, and model railroading is for nostalgic boomers. I reject these arbitrary delineations. Why can't we do all of them at the same time? Railfan transit and advocate for more of it, bring modern walkability to model railroads, and buy models of modern transit. And furthermore, do all of this through the lens of Jedi. Because, frankly, all of these things relate to each other in real life, so why not incorporate them into our hobby pastimes as well? Nearly all of us believe and appreciate these things separately. Let's stop wasting our time code-switching and get it all done in one go. Not to be too self-righteous, but I think I'm onto something that's never been done before. Let's see where this takes us. Episode 1 of the Proto-Future Podcast, The Manifesto. Theme music was by... I haven't chosen theme music yet, I'll get back to you on this. The theme music is Spark of Life by Benjamin Lazarus. And I actually have the legal rights to it too this time, which is really impressive for my podcasting history. If you like the show, please give me a good review on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast feed. If you really like the show, please consider becoming a patron as it helps me defer the cost of equipment and website hosting. If you did not like the show, do not say anything and contemplate the thought crime you have committed. This podcast was written, recorded, and produced on the ancestral lands of the Susquehannock tribe, for whom I would like to thank their historical stewardship of central Pennsylvania. Thank you for listening. Keep riding trains, keep punching Nazis, and keep building a better future.